Paige, I am so grateful to have you back. Yes. So we're going to cover 2 Nephi chapter 6 through 10. Yes. For February 19 through 25 in today's Compulmity content. Yeah. And we're not going to cover like all the verses. We're certainly not doing a verse by verse, but we'll pick out a couple of choice nuggets. Uh, we're very glad that you're here with us, joining us. This is true. So, Paige. Yes. Do you mind if I start? Yes, please. Let's go on over to Second Nephi chapter 7, verses 5 through 11. These verses stuck out at me because they kind of recalled my mind back to some conversations we'd had recently about modesty. That's what I thought of, too. The rebellious part of it. <laughs> and the bit about self-confidence. Well, let's read. Do you want to read the starting verse? Yeah, five. Okay. The Lord God hath opened mine ear, and I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. I gave my back to the smiter and my cheeks to them that plucked off the hair, hid not my face from shame and spitting. But the Lord God will help me, therefore shall I not be confounded. Therefore have I set my face like a flint, and I know that I shall not be ashamed. What comes up for me is that first of all, there's that choice that we have, right? Like when the Spirit speaks to us and gives us awareness of a behavior of ours or a pattern of ours that's not in incongruence with his mm -hmm. commandments or with our covenants or that could stand some measure of improvement. And so then there's the choice to have open ears, the choice to hear it. Correct. We have to want to see how to do what we're doing better. And that's when we invite him to speak into our ears. But then we also have to not turn back. I think that's multifaceted, though. I don't think it's just in the sense of like, oh, you just don't turn back. But I think that us as humans, when we falter, we find a sense of familiarity. And so uh, part of that, I think, is going back to what's familiar. And God's like, well, stop. Don't, don't do that. Like, that's, yeah, I get it. Like, you're not turning back to the sin, but... I also think that it's multifaceted and not looking back in the feeling that you felt or the familiarity of being in that. I'm hearing you say that it's like, sometimes it's just the habit. Like we're not necessarily yes. rebelling when we turn back, but it's just these like mind patterns and these ruts, the muscle memory, even to, to reach for the, you know, food, if we're improving our fitness or to the, the cigarette or the alcohol, if we're improving yes. wisdom or to the, whatever it is even the just the distraction like it's it's not even it, it could just be in the yeah the modality of of nothing right of yeah like if we're trying to order. become more productive it's definitely not a like hey now that i've told you how to do it um page no more mistakes never turn back that's not what it i means. don't feel that though yeah but but look but it's it's more of an expression of the commitment of isaiah so this is second nephi chapter seven but he's quoting isaiah so Isaiah is saying, I opened my ear. I was not rebellious, neither turned away back. And why? Why didn't he turn back? And what gave him that power? Maybe that's worth discussing. But, hmm. but certainly from the Lord's end, there's a lot of grace. And there's a lot of mercy. And, and we need to have compassion for ourselves when we're trying to step up our game or improve our life in a certain way that... You know, we might be turning back for familiarity or for habit. Fortunately, the Lord 
is always there to remind us, to call us back to him. And we can just start the process over again, open our ear again, keep our ears open, and he'll constantly call us toward the better path. And it's and there's going to be distractions and obstacles, right? Like there's going to be people who pluck out our hair. And I can't afford any more hair. <laughs> Um, people spitting on you, um, people mocking and um, smiting you on the cheek. But it's it's a it's it's a complete one eighty. It's it's yeah, you're not turning back to this thing, but you're also opening up and facing all of it. Like, all right, bring it on. Like, what's up? Right. Like it's he talks about giving, not it being taken. Like I gave my back to the smiter. Like, I, I see that as a willing, okay, here's everything. Life's going to, like, give give me all you've got. And if the smiter's got. to the back, who's to the front? Well, Christ would be. Yeah. Yeah. As we repent from facing the world and engaging with the world on the world's terms, when we turn to Christ, that puts the world at our back. And they don't like that. They're loath to let us go. Friends. Yeah. Stomping grounds, old habits, old habits, addictions, you know, businesses we used to purchase from, whatever. They're all going to be like, hey, where are you going? Yeah. Because we're in their ecosystem and they're going to lose something, some validation, some monetary, something. Mm. And he and Isaiah's like, well, you know, in telling his story, like, I set my face like a flint. Flint is very hard immovable and his face is toward christ and he's not going to be ashamed of any echoes he's hearing in the rearview mirror and the lord is near he goes on verse eight and he justifieth me who will contend with me like yeah these people are at my back but what can they do yeah have him exactly this verse is what reminded me about uh, something we talked about in the modesty mm -hmm. episode, self-confidence versus confidence in Christ. Correct. Who will contend with me? Let us stand together. Who is mine adversary? Let him come near and I will smite him with the strength of my mouth. And of course, what's coming out of his mouth is the word of God and the word of God breaks to pieces all other lies mm. and half-truths. Smites like iron. Hmm? That smites like iron. Yeah. Iron Rod work on. Yeah, it's strong. I mean, can you imagine getting it's... like just like hit right in the face with like an iron beam like that? It just verbally, it's this is what I love about Isaiah. And truthfully, why I feel like an understanding of the masculine and feminine interplay can help us understand Isaiah is because he's he's going back and forth between these energies so strong. He's talking about mm. following Christ, but what's christ's example it's it's being lifted up on the cross it's letting nails go through your hand christ didn't take an actual iron rod and fashion heads with romans no right? and a lot of people the jewish zealots at the time wanted to see christ take up arms that's true the romans correct so we have this meekness being juxtaposed with smiting them with the strength of my mouth it's like killing someone with kindness it's that kind of juxtaposition mm. and it has a lot to do with the equality of, of women, the 
the durability of feminine influence versus the immediate masculine power over, right? It's like the difference between a mountain strength and the strength of that lapping shore or the flowing river. Like yeah. one is kind of an immediate, like, you're not going past me, so the river has to go around. But over time, it's like that mountain's gone eventually because the river. I'll just create my new path. Yeah. And Isaiah is a master at combining these two paradoxes of feminine yielding, meekness, patience, and flowing influence with the firm masculine power of the iron rod. Mm -hmm. That's pretty awesome. He goes on verse nine, for the Lord God will help me and all they who shall condemn me, behold, all they shall wax old as a garment and the moth shall eat them up. So again, there's that bit of patience, right? That element of patience. What the Jewish zealots wanted Christ to do for them politically against Rome at that time, Christ will do at his second coming. He'll come in the clouds. That's true, yeah. His robes will be bathed in blood. And all the righteous will be lifted up. And yep. It will burn. But it's just a matter of timing where feminine traits that look to be powerless, eventually it comes full circle and we find them to be the most powerful. Explain that more. Well, an example that comes to my mind is like in economy, you have political, you have state-run corporations that forcibly take land and resources from people and then redistribute, or you have a free market where people are allowed to manage their goods and resources as they want, but that requires a sales process. And in the sales process, the business has to like entice the client. So there's all this feminine enticement going and on. And that's not a one-time thing. No, it's, it's a perpetual. Years put potentially. So, so good businesses in a free market have to build up a reputation. Yeah. They have, and this is all feminine enticement. It's, it's patience, it's meekness. It's giving when the customer feels like they've been wronged, even if they weren't really, you still give them a refund. And I mean, that's and a like, hug. That's not like, a, yeah. And a hug. That's not like a harsh power over like, no, my way of the highway approach. It's definitely, um, it lacks power in the immediate term, but it gains momentum and power in the long term. Understood. That is one example. Okay. And like this thing with the, with the garment, they who condemn me shall wax old as a garment and the moth shall eat them up. How I read that is like, he knows the ways of the wicked. He knows their patterns of communicating, their power, their patterns of relating. And he knows that they're crumbly by design. Mm -hmm. You know, wicked peoples, who get together and involved with secret combinations, you know, whenever wicked people get together in a community and make agreements, it lasts for a time, but eventually crumbles. Why? Because they are liars and they don't keep their word. And yeah. It, it never ends. <laughs> it's just a perpetual, like, you know? Yeah. Starts so, you, so like, you know how the saints hearts are knit together. Yeah, that word knit, think of like the community of saints being like a cloth. 
well, the moth eats up the wicked, like a hole in the garment. And that's just illustrative of how the ties and relationships crumble among wicked because they are not operating on principles of truth, principles of integrity, principles of Christ, the principles by which sustainable relationships operate. That's what sin is. And sin is just operating in unsustainable ways relationally. I, I can't remember where I heard it from, but it was specifically talking about why relationships fail. And it was like, yeah, because of sin, like whether on one or the other. And I'm like, that's a pretty, huh? <laughs> I mean, it makes sense, but like, that's a pretty, yeah, but, but, but it's the reality, right? There's, there's so many things that could be considered sin in that way to where it can be encompass you stretch your understanding of what sin exactly is, and i was like true. wow <laughs> there's these like major behavioral sins right stealing adultery murder all these big stuff yeah but what <laughs> about sin but some prophet benjamin he's like look i can't tell you every way that you can sin yeah but all i can tell you is that if you do not watch your thoughts and your words and, words and, and your words. actions, you will stand accountable on judgment day. Mm -hmm. So that tells us that sin creeps all the way up to the level of thinking. So operating on ideas that are not true leads us into captivity. And I think that it's not necessarily that sin is always associated with such a negative connotation, because I think if we're always walking in life and we're like, oh, we're like, sin is bad. And I'm like, but sin is also inherent. We're born with it. it just, as soon as you're born, it's like, there, here you are. <laughs> so it's yes. like it's also just it, it, it's it's like breathing but it doesn't have to be a retribution it doesn't have to be uh a burial it doesn't have to be it is a burial but <laughs> maybe not a retribution like another definition of sin that i really like is harm like in hmm. any scenario where i cause harm it's sin, but, and I could be like, well, the only time I ever cause harm is when I'm not clear on what I'm doing. I'm ignorant. I, I, I'm learning. That's fair too. I really like that because it almost, it neutralizes the idea. And I agree that we're born into this condition where we're always sinning until we learn better and then we stop. And so the acquisition of knowledge and how to do better and the decreasing of sin are they're hand in hand. Yeah. And I think the the feelings behind it, because I agree, there's obviously those big boxes of boundaries or deal breakers or whatever, those those big bad things, yeah. right? That, ugh, like, that's a problem. Yes, you're doing harm. But on the other hand, I feel like there's this essence of just living, right? Because at any time, at any point in time, we're, we're going to be sinning for any abundance of reasons, right? Whether it's food or drink or... And likewise, our, all of our needs are hunger and solutions appear in front of us. Oh, adultery. Oh, taking, you know, burglarizing this guy's house, whatever. Making fun of someone because it gets me acceptance by this crowd and then that meets this need for community. Like we're driven by a pure need. Yeah. And the strategy looks like it's going to fill the hunger. And so we do it not knowing that this strategy causes harm and this strategy causes harm and this strategy causes harm until we do learn it. And then we find another way to meet our needs that doesn't cause harm. And 
it's okay that we never knew. Yeah. We are born in sin. Well, we're supposed to be because that creates the distance between us and Christ that he needs to fill the gap. Like that's the entire reason we are here. <laughs> like that's, and we that's the whole point. <laughs> we sin because of that gap. We, yeah. we have, we are in spiritual death and that's going to take us nicely into uh second Nephi chapter nine. I want to start in verse five. Jacob really outlines this and I want to take the time to show how this doctrine of the fall and of death, including what he calls first and second death, um, fits this one universal relationship pattern, this ABBA pattern where A is masculine and B is feminine. Um, and in the context of energy, um, you know, the, the masculine is light, the feminine is dark. The masculine is righteousness. The feminine is wickedness. The masculine is heaven. The feminine is earth. Are you looking to me to for approval no. <laughs> or a reaction? I am telling the world and you at the same time. <laughs> to where you're like, are you going to be okay with this, ma'am? I want you to bring up anything that sounds unlikely to you about that yeah i'm like super excited to talk about how yeah. you know femininity is the root of all evil it's it's gonna be great <laughs> but i want to start in verse five yea i know that ye know that in the body christ shall show himself unto those at jerusalem from whence we came for it is expedient that it should be among them for it behooveth the great creator that he suffereth himself to become subject unto man in the flesh and die for all men that all men might become subject unto him. So think of like a teeter-totter. And Christ is on the end that's dropping. And the and then us, the world is on the end that's going up. And it behooved him to drop below so that he, all men would then become subject unto him. And then he rises and the world comes down. So this is his first and second coming. He comes the first time in the meridian of time and the Romans kill him. And people are like, I thought you were the king of kings. Yeah, you you're supposed to power. overthrow everything and blood. And <laughs> and he will. Yeah, exactly. And there will be blood. Yeah. But in season, right? So the wicked in the last days are going to experience what Christ suffered in the meridian of time. They're going to be the ones who are experiencing that. Yeah. Why don't you read okay. this? <laughs> For his death hath passed upon all men. To, do, to fulfill the merciful plan oh my gosh wow the merciful plan of the great creator there must needs be a power of resurrection and the resurrection must needs come unto man by reason of the fall and the fall came by reason of transgression and because man became fallen they were cut off from the presence of the lord so physical death came on man because of Adam any particular well yeah yeah Exactly. Okay. Okay. Yeah, let's keep going. You're okay. Right. Wherefore, it must needs be an infinite atonement. Save it should be an infinite atonement, this corruption could not put on incorruption. Wherefore, the first judgment which came upon man must needs have remained to an endless duration. And if so, this flesh must have laid down to rot and to crumble to its mother earth to rise no more. Oh, the wisdom of God, his mercy and grace. For behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must become subject to that angel who fell from before the presence of the eternal God, 
and became the devil to rise no more. What do you think about that? Hmm. I mean, obviously we're going to stay spiritually dead and without that atonement, we're just going to stay there. We're just going to whisper into dust and we're just going to become. Yeah, but, but why, if our bodies never rose again, couldn't our spirits go to heaven? Well, that's if we choose Satan instead of Christ. Like, maybe I'm not understanding fully the question you're asking. Well, here's what I'm reading. <laughs> Behold, if the flesh should rise no more, our spirits must become subject to the devil. What do we have to do with that? We're not the ones resurrecting our bodies. That's Christ. And it's saying that if Christ doesn't resurrect our bodies, our spirits become subject become to the slaves devil. to the devil. Why? Why couldn't our spirits go back to that pre-mortal state? Why couldn't our spirits be happy in La La Land? Why do they have to be subject to the devil? It's a good question. This is a unique doctrine. It's not anywhere. I've never heard this idea anywhere else in all of our canon. It's just Second Nephi chapter 9. Verse 9, right? Yeah. He goes yeah. on to say, I'm reading ahead. He goes on to say, <laughs> and our spirits must have become like unto him. And we become devils. Angels to a devil. Angels to a devil. Mm. To be shut out from the presence of God. And to remain with the father of lies. So we're with him. And where is he? He's in hell. Yeah. So our bodies don't resurrect. We go to hell. I've never thought of it that way. Because it's always just like, yeah, you're just going to be resurrected and everything's going to be fine. Well, and it, and it will be because of Christ. But, but this is talking about if Christ didn't fulfill the atonement, which resurrects our bodies. But I've always thought of it coming from the side of the spirit first, not from the body yeah, first. But why? Why but would it's our like, spirit have to be so negatively affected if our bodies don't rise? Because it's not part of the plan. Like, it's, I don't, I don't know. <laughs> I don't know how to answer this question. <laughs> I'm, not, I'm not sure I do either. Except it's rhetorical. It definitely, it definitely takes my attention to the doctrine of the inseparability of body and flesh. Right? So we know that doctrinally we were with God in pre-mortality of spirits. We didn't have flesh. He this is true. Plan. He said, go to earth and get flesh. We're like, okay. And then the third stage of that is that is that the bound. spirit and the flesh become one. Yeah. And so I'm thinking, wow, that's serious. This verse is making that like feel real. That you can't you can't have some eternal spirit after this life that's not a body. If if you want the body to be done away after this second act of the plan of salvation, it doesn't look good. It's bad news. Hmm. Maybe there's more clues. So we remain with the father of lies in misery like unto himself. Yea, to that being who beguiled our first parents, who transformeth himself nigh unto an angel of light and stirreth up the children of men unto secret combinations of murder and all manner of secret works of darkness. Oh, how great the goodness of our God, who prepareth a way for our escape from the grasp of this awful monster. Yea, what is that monster? That monster of death and hell, which I call the death of the body and also the death, death of, of the, the spirit. spirit. So from the moment of Adam and Eve, 
And that in first judgment and the fall, we have two deaths that happen, a physical death and a spiritual death. And I've sort of illustrated that here. But but what I want to circle back to, though, is that they both follow this ABBA pattern. And, and I like to think of them as two happenings like on top of each other, like you have two discs or CDs or two rings. And if they're stacked just right, it looks like one. And you don't know that they're stacked until you like separate them a little a bit. Little. Yeah, so that's why I drew this visual here. But essentially, both physical death, the fall and the resurrection, and the spiritual death are going to follow the same ABBA pattern. So with physical death, we're in the Garden of Eden, right? Adam and yep. Eve's bodies were immortal. They weren't going to die. Then they ate the fruit. The first judgment came in, and then all the bodies they became mortal. Became mortal and underwent yeah. this thing called physical death. And the, the act of dying, the fact that eventually this life we're living is going to come to an end, is the author of fear, I believe. The survival instinct of, I need to stay alive for as long as possible. And it creates panic, it creates anxiety, it's what creates the animal kingdom of dog-eat-dog, -dog, animals eating animals, mm -hmm. humans warfaring against humans, yep. stealing, plundering raping, taking, all of this stuff stems from the survival aspect of the animal brain mm -hmm. that is driven by fear that is because of this guy, physical death, that awful monster. And most people fear it. There's, I feel like there's rare times where you ask someone like, oh, are you afraid of dying? Or what do you fear most? And I, if time, right, is, is usually the answer. Not going to have enough time. Yeah. And actually an idea just came to me about why our spirits would go to hell if our bodies died. So death, physically dying, is what authors the animal instinct of survival. Yes. The survival instinct arises because of physical death. And that is why animals start eating each other. Mm -hmm. you with me? So it's, it's all of the behaviors that we take socially that cause harm but they stem from the survival instinct this is why girls are mean to each other this is why men beat each other up it's a survival instinct to get the mate to get acceptance it's interesting to think about the fear behind death in general yeah and where that goes yeah i, th I think that the reason our spirits would go to hell if our bodies weren't resurrected is because our spirits would not be able to see beyond it. And the only option available to us at that point would be to behave as animals because the fear would be real. Hmm. The, only, the only way we can step out of- Interesting. Continue. The only way we can step out of behaving like animals is to see that death isn't real and make choices based on results that extend past death. Agreed. And those choices are what land us in the celestial kingdom. So the reason we'd go to hell if our body didn't resurrect is because our spirits couldn't see anything past death to choose it that elevates our behavior into a celestial state. We remain as animals in this dog-eat-dog -dog mm -hmm. way of being because death is real death and is that real. becomes our only option to us. Right? Mm -hmm. That feels like a light bulb. That feels like it answers the doctrine of why that's the case. 
to me because we have, do have two deaths happening. Like we're in these bodies that die and the survival instinct is wired into our bodies because the bodies die. Yes. That does create the fear. And for as long as our bodies, the intelligence of our bodies intuit an impending death, they're going to behave animalistically with that survival instinct driven by fear. That's just coded into the body. And the only hope we have of behaving as anything other than that is the fact that we have spirits that inhabit the bodies. Problem is, these spirits have also fallen and are also dead. Dot, dot, dot. <laughs> Let's keep reading. Verse 11. You want to read it? Sure. And because of the way of deliverance of our God, the Holy One of Israel, this death of which I have spoken, which is the temporal, shall deliver up its dead, which death is the grave. Continue. Yeah. And okay. so we know that the bodies resurrect because of Christ and we don't have to do anything for mm -hmm. that. because we chose to come to earth. We get that. Yeah. Those who didn't come to earth, this doesn't apply to them. Obviously they don't have bodies. Yeah. A plus B equals C celestial stuff. <laughs> I like that. I wish you could have. I wish you could have. I wish you could have seen like the, the conversation in my brain where I was like, don't say it, Paige. That's dumb. Don't say it. It's really stupid. <laughs> I like it, actually. I like it. It felt like a dad joke. <laughs> <laughs> which are the most brilliant of jokes we know oh man sorry i don't mean to distract that was a big it's ad. just <laughs> big ad. i would be so much funnier if the delivery was just deadpan but i always laugh at my own jokes because i think they're funny yeah. yeah moving on <laughs> me too personally okay mm, 12 yes and this death of which i have spoken which is the spiritual death shall deliver up its dead, which spiritual death is hell. What? Wherefore death and hell must deliver up their dead. What? what? And, <laughs> and hell must deliver up its captive spirits and the grave must deliver up its captive bodies and the bodies and the spirits of men will be restored one to the other. And it is by the power of the resurrection of the Holy One of Israel. Oh, happy day. Who? I was like. <laughs> so we start in Eden. We experience physical death at marker point B, and we get resurrected and we get an immortal body. We start off in heaven. We fall to earth. We're separate from God. We experience mm -hmm. spiritual death. But because of Christ, both physical death and spiritual death, the captives there are delivered up. Mm -hmm. You know, I, I don't know if this is like a touchy subject, but I didn't hear any conditions on that. It's saying hell must deliver up their dead and hell must deliver up its captive spirits. That is so much more promising than just having a body. I agree. To me. And I really like the idea that because of what Christ did in the garden of Gethsemane, this cycle completes for mm -hmm. everyone as well. Yeah. Everything will bow. Everything will be called, right? 
This is pretty cool. He gets like I bend time and space, <laughs> like all of this stuff and all of this stuff, and like here you go. Do you think everyone is going to come back? Do you think everyone will get back to a place of happiness where this whole story started from, including the third of the hosts of heaven? No. That's what I've been taught or what I feel like I've learned is that no, everyone will have the opportunity and chance, but I don't know if everyone's going to take it. Well, we know everyone has been given the chance because Christ fulfilled his end of the relationship fully. You mean to be resurrected. So like every single person ever. I'd rather not, you know, share lemonade with Hitler or something like that. But then again, he'd be perfected. So it'd be fine, I guess. But that's right. <laughs> uh, my mission president once at a conference asked the missionaries, is it possible that the story of the prodigal son is the story of the father and Christ and Lucifer. I've never thought about it that way. And that question has never left my brain. Hmm. And I'm glad he posed it in the form of a question and not as a statement. <laughs> but I will say that if that were true, it would complete this ABBA cycle where everyone who fell from that heavenly pre-mortal state comes home again. Now, of course, the third who didn't get bodies can't experience physical resurrection. Therefore, they can't have this perpetual state of immortality and celestial glory, which combines spirit and body. Because mm -hmm. they never, they said no to the body. They're like, no thanks. God's like, you want bodies? They're like, no thanks. They're like, no, we're way too cool. We don't yeah, want those. Too cool for, on for school. Yeah, that's right. On Wednesdays, we wear pink. <laughs> that's for Mean Girls. Okay, good. <laughs> because pink is actually a celestial color. And I, I'm i wearing pink. You're wearing pink. Yeah, so this, yeah. it can't mean what I thought you meant. I think what it comes down to is that spiritual death is hell. We are in hell. And a lot of people don't like to think that, but our doctrine is very clear. We are in spiritual death. And he says in verse 12, spiritual death is hell. Think about it. Try to imagine a place other than the place we're in that's that we call hell. Like how bad is hell like think of the you don't even have to say it out loud because it gets so grotesque so fast but get a picture in your head of hell somewhere else out there and all the bad stuff that goes on there can you really not find that on earth what i'm thinking of is examples from earth we know that satan and the third were cast out of heaven mm -hmm. where we were with God in pre-mortality. And that we were also sent to earth. But where did the third go? Call them sad, angry blobs. <laughs> Evil spirits that roam the earth. Sabs. <laughs> they do actually roam the earth. 
They do. They're here. Yeah. So if they're in hell and they're here, how is this not hell? Mm. But well, wouldn't anything other than heaven be hell? Anything lower than that? And we left heaven to experience its opposite. Yeah. So we could see heaven anew. Exactly. Without the contrast. It's like this. You have a dancer in all white. They're 100% white with a white backdrop. How can you enjoy the dance? You can't enjoy the dance until you create a black backdrop with an all white dancer. And then that contrast, which creates the silhouette, allows you to enjoy the beauty of the dance. Heaven is kind of like that dancer. But in pre-mortality, all we had was this white backdrop. So we come right. to earth to experience hell, to learn to appreciate heaven. Yes. The reason why I feel like this distinction is important and why I want to um, point out that our doctrine does say that we are presently in hell is because there are two patterns of relationship one can have with the idea of hell. The first one is, I want to avoid going to hell, which means hell is out there. It's not here in my mortal realm. It's not what I'm presently living. It's something way, 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 way worse, separate from me, distinct from my mortal experience, and I just don't ever want to understand it or taste it or go there. This leads to checklist behavior in discipleship. It leads to being righteous so as to avoid suffering. I feel like as saints, we're always like, oh, well, I have to like truly create that checklist to avoid hell, right? If I do this, it's going to keep me safe. I'm not going to have that fear or that that scarcity of dying spiritually. Safe from going to hell. Yes. But it can also, but it's, it actually does keep us safe from remaining in hell. Commandments are like stepping stones out of hell, not preventative measures from going to hell, although it, it can be both. But the, but the risk though, of, of the first relationship one has with hell, which is that I'm being good so as to not go there, is that it weakens or dilutes the need we have for salvation. Because if I'm not in any kind of hell, then where's the need for a savior? The second relationship we can have with hell or the idea of hell is I want to escape hell as quickly as possible. And this comes when we acknowledge the doctrine that we are in hell. Mm -hmm. Now, fortunately, most of us experience enough suffering here to be like, yeah, I get it. This is hell. But for the inexperienced or the young, or the naive, <laughs> I'm just telling you, this is why we have to go through suffering. This is why we have to fall flat on our face at some point in our life. This is why we have midlife crises. This is why things, the plans don't go the way they're planned. The plans don't go the way they're planned. It's so that we do fall on our face just as we fell from heaven and we hit rock bottom, which is spiritual hell, spiritual death and hell according to Jacob in 2 Nephi 9. And that creates a need for a Savior. That causes us to look for a Savior, to find Christ, and to get those stepping, those steps, those stairs literally built for us by that master carpenter that lead us out of hell 
And those steps are commandments. I think of it as um, the, the blending of the law of Moses and when Christ came, right? This checklist behavior that you're talking about, this law of Moses that was so rigorous and so, hey, it's going to protect us. But then came the feeling of it, not the letter of it. This is a classic example of how one's relationship with the idea of hell can go askew. The Jews, the religious Jews at the time, they felt separate from the rest of the world. Well, and they weren't ready. Like, they're like, hey, man, like, you're not following the rules. And he's like, I, um, I wrote those. Like, I, I made the rules. Like, I am the law. Like, they, okay. They weren't ready because there was no need in them. They weren't looking for a savior. You're right. Doing the checklist. Not from spiritual death. They were looking for a savior from political death. Yeah. But they didn't understand that spiritual salvation precedes political salvation. The first idea, which is kind of the idea that hell is separate from me, which is what the Pharisees fell victim to, it has me going around walking through earth thinking, I'm not in hell. How do I avoid it? And it creates an identity as separate from hell. And the problem with that is, is that everyone else is in hell and I'm not. And so we avoid connecting with those pagans, heathens. There was Jew and there was Gentile. So it, literally when you create this idea of hell is something separate from me, the Gentiles are in hell, the heathens are in hell, the sinners are in hell, and I'm not a sinner or a heathen or a Gentile because look at my checklist, look at my resume. Mm -hmm. It prevents an ability to connect with those there. I agree. And to reach out to them in their misery and suffering and to grasp their hand and pull them into the fold. Yeah. But the second where I acknowledge I'm in hell, I'm a sinner, I'm a heathen, I'm a Gentile, it has me going around walking thinking, great, now what? How do I get out and how do I bring my friends with me? That's how it should be. That's why we're here. Well, it's how it is. It's not how, it's like, it's how it actually is. It's not like a concept where like, okay, let me try and mentally get to that place. It's like, no, you are in hell. And if you don't know that, wait. Well, so I'm talking about the knowing. God will make this doctrine clear to you. Yeah. I promise. I can make that promise to everyone. If you're not clear on the doctrine that we are in hell, God will make it clear. Because Christ has no entry point until we arrive at that place where we feel like we're in hell. And the commandments, the breaking of them takes us into hell. It did with Adam and Eve, and it does in our personal lives. We experience the pit and the depths of hell yeah. because of we break our commandments, we, we break our covenants, and we might do it ignorantly or not, but still it is the breaking of commandments that gets us to hell. And it is then the repairing of those commandments, the repairing of our obedience, the becoming faithful brides of Christ that take us out of hell. But it doesn't matter how much checklist, like how good you are at the checklist. I, I promise agree. you... <laughs> I, I agree. You, your savior loves you enough yeah. to find a way to create a space in you where he can enter. Even if it's just a weakness, even if it's not some all out egregious sin, some, you don't have to like get addicted to drugs. You don't have to like ruin your marriage by cheating on your spouse. 
you can just be faithful you checklist you please remain so and go along but through weakness through mortality there's going to be an achilles heel where you are going to feel so desperate that there is no way out there is no recovery and you're going to start looking around for a solution and that solution is christ because he's the savior of us all in body and in spirit in every way that we are we want to heal our bodies heal our spirits resurrect our bodies resurrect our spirits in all the ways now and forever christ is the remedy and the solution the savior because he knows how to repair those breaches And that's why Isaiah is able to withstand all the hot breath at his neck as he leaves the world because he knows there's no solutions back there. Yeah. And we can too, you know, and that's, I guess, one thing sin is good for is it teaches us what doesn't work. That's the truth. And it can make us more eager to seek and stay with Christ who knows how to make things work whatever it is we're wanting for our lives what do you think Paige I agree I see I don't have much else to add do you have a song you want to sing about that it always surprises me every yeah. time I'm like oh wait and I have a job it's always perfect every time I I guess but um close your eyes identify what you're feeling right now which all that we've talked about has stirred up in you. And the song will just jump out of that. Or is it too hard? It's not it's too, too hard. hard. No. Okay, good. You only gave me like five seconds. Can I give me a little bit more time? I give you more time. Mm. Here are five more seconds. <laughs> Thanks. I stand all amazed at the love Jesus offers me confused at the grace that's so fully he proffers me I tremble to know that for me he was crucified for me a sinner he suffered, he bled and died. Oh, it is wonderful that he should care for me. He enough to die for me. Oh, it is wonderful, wonderful to me. Thank you. <laughs> that was bliss. Thank you all for being with us today. May God be with you. Till next time.